Welcome, and thank you for viewing our weekly sermon. I'm Pastor Malone, and I pray this message be a blessing to you and help you grow closer to Jesus. If you'd like to know more about having a personal relationship with Jesus or to connect with us as a church, please visit westacres.org. Thanks again, and God bless. All right. Well, here we go. Woo. Uh, you must remember, although my prefrontal cortex is fully developed at 26 years old, I still like to have fun. And for a preacher to not have fun, he is not a preacher. And so um, I am just, uh, I, Lord willing, the voice will hold out. Um, but I just, uh, I want to first, first just say, um, I am not qualified to deliver this word because it's not my word. Um, but it is God who equips the unequipped. And I believe that this morning. Um, and then I also just want to say that this topic and this concept of what we have dove into this weekend all the way to this culmination today is by and large the hardest things that I've had to prepare and preach. Um, because I feel unequipped to deliver things on suffering because of what, com in comparison, my suffering to other suffering seems so minute. But God reminded me this week through his word that do not compare your suffering to another. Do not be reminded that I am in the midst and that all suffering, rather it is the fullness that we can experience to the little, whatever it be, when it is put on a balance next to Christ, Christ outweighs it by and large. So do not compare. Um, but I do also want to just uh, say thank you to my pastor for allowing me to have uh, D-Now Sunday as a Sunday to deliver the gospel. Um, I love nothing more than teaching God's word. It is my absolute favorite thing. And I, and I mean this when I say this. If you take away preaching from me, I have nothing else to do. I might as well just call it a quit. Um, and that is, I say that um, honestly, because I couldn't go work somewhere else. I have no other skills. Um, <laughs> I may be Daryl Barnes' son, but I didn't receive the carpentry and all the handyman that he has. Um, I do know how to bake, though, and I've been telling the kids that I'm a pretty good Betty Crocker. Um, and so, but I say that because I had a professor in college who, he said, for the preacher, the only thing he can do is preach. And if he can't preach, then there's no other purpose for him. And so I am very thankful to be able to preach. And so thank you, brother. Um, I thank you that you have uh, opened the pulpit to your staff um, as we all desire to faithfully deliver the word to our people. And so this morning, uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is James. Uh, I have the privilege of being the student pastor here at West Acres. Um, this is home. I've been here since I was two years old. I grew up in this youth group. I grew up having denials every single year. And so it's a special opportunity to be able to love these kids the way that I get to and be able to pour into them because I feel like I do know what they need. Um, being a part of this church for so long, I feel like I know the people. And so this, going into this weekend, I do want to explain uh, why it is where we are. But before I get ahead of myself, we're going to be reading a lot. Okay, now, I'm going to say this lightly, but it's going to sound really harsh. Um, reading the Bible is not a bad thing. So if we just did that this morning, we would have done what honors God, okay? 
but I do want, uh, I know we usually stand for the preaching of the word and we will in just a moment, but I want to encourage you, like if you need to sit, I'm reading a whole chapter, so do what you need to do. But before we get there, our title today is Hope and Suffering. Hope and Suffering. And when you think about it, those two concepts are at paradox, right? Hope and suffering, that those two things could be united as one? Yes, but only in Christ are they found in one. And so this past weekend, we've been talking about beauty and suffering. Maybe you've seen the t-shirt or the logo uh, plastered around the walls, beauty and suffering. And our amazing graphics guy, my best friend, Jesse, um, when I brought the concept to him, he's like, hey, uh, can I have freedom. I'm like, yeah. He's like, what about a skull with roses? He's like, you know, at the end of the day, we all have a skull. We, we act like we don't like that image, but you have a skull, but the roses out of it reminding us that even from the ashes, from whatever the, the point is of suffering, that there is beauty in Christ. So like, yeah, go with it, run with it. And so that's where we're at. But um, this year I started planning, you know, I used to plan about the fall. I started planning and just thinking, God, where would you have us? Last year we did spiritual disciplines, right? And we covered a lot of ground. So where should we be this year? And begin praying and begin reading. Anytime I don't know where to go, where do I go? I go to Romans. It's my favorite book in all of the Bible. And so I just start reading. Um, well, it's kind of funny how God brings things to take place. Suffering is something that I'm, I've, I've not really studied a lot. But I am a Puritan nerd. I love the Puritans. I love the Reformers. I love all of church history. And the Puritans especially, they experienced immense suffering in their life. Immense suffering. Like over, okay, so in the time of the Reformation, remember Bloody Mary, Queen Mary? She killed over 220 people in her reign, right? Martyrs, Christian martyrs. And so as we see like this time period of suffering, I'm reading all that. I'm like, man, I don't understand that concept. So I begin praying, and I stumble across a podcast that I'll address at the end of the message. And it was like God just kind of shook me. He's like, yeah, that's what we're running with. So I put it on my whiteboard. I'm like, suffering. Well, this is going to be interesting, James, right? Suffering, really? Spiritual disciplines. Woo, go read, go pray. Suffering? And so I start working through it. And over the next kind of, you know, three, four months, God really revealed that's where we're going to be. And I, I want to share that story at the end because it's just something I cling to for hope. It is. Um, but today, our theme is hope, or, or our concept is beauty and suffering, and we are finishing off this weekend with hope and suffering. On Friday night, we defined what is suffering, and we talked about suffering is pain. It is. It is grievous pain. Um, we also defined it in other ways according to the scriptures, that it is going without. It is to be at loss. But pretty much suffering defined easily, it is a painful circumstance in your present circumstances. Right, so we define it. Then on Saturday, I had a lot of my brothers come and deliver the word. Uh, Sean, who is one of my brothers that's here this morning, he reminded us that our suffering is never for nothing. Then one of our own that was called into the ministry out of this church, Rene Garcia, he brought to us the concept of why is there suffering? And then last night, Shane Pageant from Grovetown, he reminded us that the greatest example for suffering is Christ Jesus. And so we come now then, okay, how do we put all that in a box and walk out on Sunday? Hope and suffering. Like, none of this is any good if you don't give us any hope, James. And so I also want to give this disclaimer. I'm right, I wrote this message as if I was the audience. I, I need this more than you do. But I believe if there's a need in my heart as the pastor and shepherd of my people, my children, then they need it as well. So if you have your Bible, 
Turn to me to the greatest chapter in all of Scripture, Romans 8. And when you're there, you can say I'm there or you can stand. But my friends, we're going to read. And if you've never read Romans 8, oh baby, it is the greatest picture of the gospel summarized into one chapter of Scripture. So let's read from the word of the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, here's the key, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are nothing worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing, longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified, past tense, E.D. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all. 
how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is indeed interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Father, this is your word. And it is one of the greatest things we could ever hear. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I am so sorry that I get fired up. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been waiting for this moment to preach this chapter for a long, long time. Um, So Romans 8 changed my life. That's why. It changed my life. I grew up in this church, I grew up at West Acres. I was a bowl cut kid running around. But I didn't know the gospel until somebody sat me down and showed me that you did nothing, Christ did everything. Praise be to God. And I tell you, I returned to Romans 8. The first thing I did the first day I got this job um, is I sat and read all of Romans. It takes about an hour, you should try it sometime. Um, I read all of Romans. And if God ever moves me according to his will, the last thing I'll do is read Romans before. But I love Romans 8 because it reminds us of our place. And I, uh, I heard a quote that reminded me this morning from Stephen Lawson, one of my favorite preachers. He said, you know what the problem with American preachers is today? Nobody wants to kill them anymore. And so, <laughs> take that and run with it and let's have a good time. So. This morning, our truth claim from this text is hope is present in the suffering of God's people only because Christ is present in the suffering of God's people. No Christ, there's no hope, but full Christ, full hope. And see, here's the beautiful thing about that claim, is God gives us all of his son when we surrender to him. There's no no halvesies to that. You either have none of Christ or all. And so hope is present in the suffering of God's people. Why? Because Christ is present. And how I want to tackle this topic is I want to surround this sermon around this truth, but I want to ask you a question that maybe you've asked yourself. It might not be the same wording, but this question is, how do we hold fast to hope when suffering is present in our lives? Right? Have you ever asked that question? Like, How do I get through this storm? And right? I'm in the midst of something terrible. How do I get through it, God? And it's good to ask those questions. Why? Because I believe that God leads us to his word when we are obedient to that. But that is the question I've asked. Is God, how do I hold fast to this hope? I read this hope, but how do I cling to it? And I've got five answers that I believe Romans 8 answers, and that's why we had to read all of it. We're not going to reread all of it again, I promise, as much as I would love to. But five answers. Number one, you must know Christ personally. You must know Christ personally. So why do I start with this disclaimer? Like, we got to start there. We have to start at this point and answer this because it is foolishness to assume that each of you know the gospel fully. Foolishness. But the reality is hope only exists if you know Jesus Christ personally and truly. 
Jesus is the very essence of hope. As this fallen world that was severed in the garden brought forth a curse that can only be redeemed in one person, Jesus Christ. And so we see from Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation. What is the disclaimer, though, for those in Christ Jesus? To recognize Jesus Christ is to recognize real hope. Notice that criteria, as I just said, that there is no condemnation. But that there's only no condemnation for what? Those in Christ Jesus. That's the criteria. Paul states that this pardon from condemnation is for those who are of God's people. So why is this so important as we tackle this question of how do we hold hope? And the times of suffering is because if we do not hold to the hope which is provided in one person, we are doomed from the start. There's only one provider of hope. I can't provide you hope. I can point you to it, but I can't provide it. There's only one, and that is Jesus Christ. And as we see that, uh, this beautiful message, right, we are started in condemnation, then Christ redeems us from condemnation for those of his people. There is fierce retribution to those who neglect this truth. So that's why we start here. Let's think about Hebrews 2, my friends, since that's where we're at on Wednesdays. What does he say if you neglect this message of truth? Therefore, we pay much closer attention to what we have heard, Hebrews 2, 1, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So we first must start with, if you want hope in your time of suffering, do I know Christ? That's the first thing we must recognize. Because to know Christ personally is to know hope wholly. W-H-O-L-L-Y. As the beautiful hymn states, no condemnation now I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine. That's the beautiful hymn of and can it be that I should gain. There's no condemnation in Christ now I dread because he is all mine. So we ask the question, how do we hold fast to hope? Number one, you must know him. Brother or sister that you know personally Christ today, you have hope, his name is Jesus. Friend, or pew sitter, if you don't know Christ today, I hate to break it to you, you have no hope. Your finances will fail you. Your marriage will fail you. Everything in this life will fail you, and it's all fleeting and passing away. For life is a vapor, a mist, James tells us. And so, hope is only seen first in knowing Christ personally, Romans 8, 1. Well, there's another answer then. So we know Christ personally, we start there. And the way I'm kind of viewing this question is let me go through, not like a checklist in a bad way, but let me kind of check the boxes. Like, I'm, goal, I'm very goal-oriented. Anybody like that? I'm very goal-oriented. If it's not on the whiteboard, it's not getting done. And uh, people know that about my office. Gigantic whiteboard, if it's not up there, it's not going to be good. Well, as I was thinking through this message, I was trying to think, what is something I will return to on the hard day? What is something I can go back and go, all right, I know him. Let me start there. Here's the word. Let me go there. And then go down the list. So that's the way the, the kind of strain of thought rolls. So next, if you know him, good news. Hold on to that. Because now that you know him, you must know and remember and recognize sin and its consequences. That's Romans 8, 2 through 8. So take a simple look around in our society and you will see the horrors of sin. You'll see the horrors that crawl through creation, right? Let's look at the evidence all around us. How about the, or all of the horrible shootings and mass murders that we have seen over the last years? That's just a little example because there's so many. We could sit all day telling you of the horrors around. But it's easy to see what sin has done. 
The beauty of all that God created in Genesis 1 is tainted and distorted by the rebellion of Adam and Eve, and now sin fills the world like a loose plague. As Romans will later say, the creation, as we just read, was subject to futility. Here's a question, though. Do you view sin to be disgusting as the way that was just described, of it crawling? Do you have this recognition that sin is disgusting, right? See, how we view sin says everything in how we view life and suffering. Truly, your views on sin will affect all of how you live your life. Try it. Your view of sin affects everything about what you do, from the decisions you make to everything that you do, right? About a year ago, I was privileged to give a message. I think it was graduation Sunday. Um, but I talked about the depravity of man, right? And I define sin in this way, the active pursuit of one's desires in rebellion to what God has commanded. And that's just from the garden, right? They actively rebelled of what God had told them not to do. We also then stated that you will never truly see the beauty and grace of Jesus Christ until you grasp the weight and depravity of your own sin. So here today, I argue the same truth. Remember that truth to you. But as we answer it about suffering, I want you to see something different. That you will never see beauty in suffering until you grasp the weight of sin and its consequences. You will never, ever recognize suffering as a beautiful thing until you'll see the ugliness and horrors of sin. Because what has brought about suffering into this world? Sin. What started in the garden, the rebellion, is the reason we have suffering today. It is the very reason. It has corrupted all of creation, Romans even tells us. But in Romans 2 through 8, Paul expounds how serious it is to follow the mind of the flesh, to follow into the sin. Do you notice what he was saying? Find the mind, follow the mind of the flesh is what? Death. He says in verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Today, believers, if we see that this is true, what Paul has said, that the following of the flesh and mind of the flesh is death, then why do we coddle our sin around like a house pet? Why is your sin the pet on a leash that you let run out into the yard? It's like those horrible chain dogs that are out in the front yard. They run to a certain point and it's stuck, but we pull it back when we want that's exactly how we are with our sin. We don't address it as it is, as something that leads to death. Here in God's word, it says to set the mind on the flesh, which means sinful matters, is death. So why do we coddle it around? Even Ephesians 2 tells us, right, that you were dead in your trespasses. Dead. Those apart from Christ, of course, they don't see their sin. They don't recognize it because they are blind to it. But you, believer, the one who claims Jesus, if you truly know him, then sin is something we now see and feel. No longer are you a walking corpse, but now you are a new creation. And in being a new creation, sin has affected all of what we see around us. So you must proactively kill the sin in your life. It cannot be your pet any longer. And I know what uh, we, the topic is suffering, but I have found that I like to blame everything else around me when suffering is present, right? But I need to remember the garden. I live in a fallen world, a fully fallen world. So believer, do not look at sin and think it to be some minute matter that we can ignore, but see it and stare at its face and scream, Jesus is greater. For until you see sin as God sees sin, suffering will never become something you experience and see beauty deep within. 
The very reason suffering can be a beautiful matter is because sin has been conquered and what began all the suffering in the world in Genesis 3 has been defeated in Jesus' name. But each and every day we need to see that this plague of sin must be a matter we destroy in our life each and every moment. Recognize sin is what has caused all this suffering, but guess what? It has too been defeated. That's good news. And if that doesn't get you sparky, nothing will. Absolutely nothing. Because believer, until we look through the lenses of what God looks through, we will not see beauty. We must read the scriptures, understand these truths as God has presented them. The great John Bunyan, the 17th century preacher and Puritan, he states this, no sin against God can be little because it is against the great God. That is good truth. So church, to see beauty in suffering, we must see matters as God sees them. And we see that sin has affected the whole of creation, the whole. And so the reason there is suffering today is there is sin that is within this world, corruption. Recognize sin, recognize its consequences. Next, number three, you must know salvation is completed. Now we're going a little bit out of order with scriptures here in just a moment, but there's a strain of thought, like I said. Romans 8, 29 through 30 is where this comes from. So have you ever taken a moment to read through this chain right here? And, and, and thought about it the way that the Puritan William Perkins thought about it, or as Charles Spurgeon deemed it. It's called the golden chain. You ever thought about that? As you read 829 through 30, it flows. And I flew through that because it just flows off the tongue. But it also flows in thought, right? In Romans 829, readers will see a beautiful chain that is called the order of salvation. In theology, we call it the ordo salutis, Latin. It's the order of salvation. It is the exact blueprint to how God has accomplished this beautiful work of salvation in the heart of sinful man. Read very carefully once again with me. Look at it. It says in 8.29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And here's the beautiful chain. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, do you notice anything in particular? It is upon this matter that you will either grasp the glories in these two verses or simply just pass by it. Each word in this process of salvation is what? Past tense. Past tense. Right? This is where grammar is everything, man. Right? It is past tense. Each word. Now, why is that good news? Why is that good news? It is good news, church, because that means our, sal our salvation is already complete, in full, in God's timing. So look, man, this is where the door hinges for you, if you believe God is truly in control or not, right? Past tense. Glorification is glorified, which is a future matter, just so you know, right? It's a future matter at the final culminating work in our salvation, and it has not yet taken place in our timing, in our life, but guess what? In God's timing, because he is the transcending God, it is done completely. How about this? Do you know in Revelation, the Lamb's book of life, the names are already written, done, past tense. Why is that good news? Let me tell you even a little bit more good news. So how about when Jesus cried out to tell us die, it is finished on the cross? You ever thought about that? Listen to this. To tell us die, it is finished. Not only was he claiming that his life was over, right? 
But listen, Christ claimed this. It is finished. The covenants have been fulfilled. It is finished. The prophecies have been fulfilled. It is finished. The veil has been torn. It is finished. My life and ministry here physically has completed. And it is finished. Salvation is accomplished once and for all of eternity. And this is the reason we can read Hebrews 10.10 and shout for joy as it says, once and for all. Because that once and for all means that he doesn't have to go through it again. And why is that good news? Because I don't want to put my faith into something that is going to have to take place again. This is finalized. That's why it is truth. It is solidified concrete. And history proves that this is true. Archaeology proves that this is done, that Jesus came and died on this cross, and that his body cannot be found, that he raised from the dead. This is truth. But this is why we can shout with joy. He never has to do it again. And that means in trusting in him, we are trusting in what is complete, what is true, and what is whole. Believer, how we see beauty and suffering is by remembering that our salvation is complete. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. But guess what? Why that's good news. It means he's going to persevere you all the way to what's already accomplished in his timing, though. We try to put God in a box, my friends. He is God. He transcends time and space. Do not put him into a box and be reminded today that your suffering believer is temporary and your salvation has been accomplished and that is eternal. Wow, that's good news, my friend. So nothing, nothing will thwart it. Now, how do we know that though? How do we know, James, how, do you, how can I trust that word? Well, another section of Romans 8, this is why we read it. Verses 31 through 39. Paul starts elaborating on all these rhetorical questions. If you're in a, I, I love teaching. I would love to be a professor one day, right? I love that kind of concept, classroom, whiteboard. Rhetorical questions. When they ask a rhetorical question, are they begging for an answer? No. Right? There I know the answer. Well, he's asking these rhetorical questions to stir their hearts to be reminded of this truth in 31 through 39. But notice the finale of Romans 8, 31 through 39. He starts giving this list of any of these things that could separate us from God. And guess what? In verse 7, 37, it reaches its pinnacle. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So that, all, that whole list, for time's sake we won't read, none of those things, and that whole list encompasses everything that could ever thwart somebody. None of those things can thwart what God has done in your life. That's good news, right? Oh, what a God we serve, church. Oh, that he would accomplish these things in Christ Jesus to redeem his people from their sins. We didn't deserve any of that redemption. We deserve hell. And he would be a righteous judge to send us there. We have disobeyed against his decrees, his law. He has done nothing wrong. He is perfect. This is the hope that we have. It is not hope found in this life, but it is hope that is found in the eternal one, Christ and Christ alone. So then we take that, and number four, you must know that God is sovereign. See, it's a flow of thought. You must know that he's sovereign. You've read it, now you've got to know it. Now that we have seen this good news of salvation, let us also remember that God is the sovereign one. The kids know this is my absolute favorite word. Absolute favorite word. And I'll, I'll, I don't know if I'll have time to give a story behind why there's a reason. Um, but... Let's remember he is sovereign. There is no name higher, no being higher, no matter higher than God. 
For he is sovereign, the providential ruler that does all according to the counsel of his will for his purposes and for his glory. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. It is all his. So when suffering arrives, it feels that God is absent sometimes. Maybe you can give testimony to that. And you've been through some serious things and it just feels like, God, where are you at? Right? Many of you could probably agree. Suffering feels like some of the loneliest times. It is in those dark, lonely hours. And it feels as if there is no presence of God. But believer, do not let your soul grow weary. As Psalm 42, 5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So that's why you got to know salvation. Because he is the salvation. Church, we have gotten very good at claiming God is sovereign, though. We say it even loosely as we cover up at times for ignorance in our actions. Yeah. May we not blaspheme this beautiful characteristic of our Lord, but recognize that God, being the only sovereign that there is, is a matter that replaces sorrow with hope. Let me say that again. Let us recognize that God, being the only sovereign one, the only, that is a matter and a truth that replaces your sorrow with hope. For to know God is sovereign is to know that your circumstances are within his hand. Uh, Sean referred to it. It's like the cheesy kid song. He's got the whole world in his hands. I mean, that's about as theolo theologically accurate as you can get. The whole world in his hands. For to know God is sovereign is to know that your circumstances are within his hand. For to know God is sovereign is to know your salvation is within his control. Believer, left up to you, guess what? You're hopeless. Let me tell you how hopeless you are. You couldn't save yourself. Heavens, some of you can't even make it to church on Sunday, right? So what really makes you think you're going to save your soul? Yeah, exactly. For to know God is sovereign is to know he is working all things, even the sorrows and calamities of this life for his glory. Here's the good news, Romans 8, 28, being our validation. And we know, believers, that for those who love God, there's the criteria, love God. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I'm telling you, I want to be in his purposes. I don't want the purposes of James. Looking back over my life, I know the purposes of James are leading me to that place of death, as Romans 8, 6 says, to follow the mind of the flesh. I want the purposes of God. That's good news. Knowing God is sovereign in the storm of suffering is remembering that he is the one that will hold you fast. It's a reason we sang that song. He will hold me fast. You know what that means? It's like this old English phrase and way of saying this simple truth, that he will hold me. He will hold me tight. That his grip, guess what? Nothing's pinching it out. I tell the kids when I baptize them that I'm going to death grip your hand so that you don't slip, right? God even holds us closer than I can death grip that hand, right? His, his whole plans cannot be thwarted. He holds us close. He holds us fast. And finally, number five, you must remember your inheritance. Now, if you are a believer, guess what you are? You are an heir to the Most High King. That is all through the scriptures, just so you know. Hebrews talks about it. Romans talks about it. But you're an heir. The beauty and suffering is found in being reminded that we, now here's the, the key, the children of God, have an eternal inheritance in Christ. That inheritance being promised life with Christ. See, church, I'm afraid we've gotten it twisted. 
We, we're all concerned about the golden streets and fishing on a boat with Pappy and, and high-fiving our friends and playing golf in a golf course that doesn't exist in heaven. I, I, but am I wrong? Do you know what's the beautiful thing about glory? It's Christ. No, there's no glory without Christ. Heaven is heaven because Christ. Take Christ out of heaven, guess what? Might as well be in hell. The reality is, heaven is what it is. The inheritance, the future glory is because who is there? That inheritance being promised life with Christ. That these sufferings, they are temporary for those in Christ. And life with Christ is forevermore. See, this is what Paul is expounding on in Romans 8.18. That the, our present sufferings are nothing uh, in comparing with the glory that is to be revealed with us, right? To be revealed to us. That's what he's expounding on when he says the riches and glory of Christ, they're, when they're put on a scale, think about a balance, and our suffering is put on the other end, Christ's glory, it outweighs it by no competition. This is the beauty of our Lord that his glory, in comparison to the muck of this life, is immeasurably rich and beautiful. Because here's the reality about Christ's glory. Do you know what Christ's glory is? It's the fullness of him. So guess who gets on the other side of the scale? Jesus. He's on that scale. And when you put suffering in comparison to the exalted Son of God, the chosen instrument for your salvation outweighs the other side. Be reminded Jesus Christ, his name. I love what Pastor said last week. That's not his last name, right? Jesus means Yeshua, right? It comes from the root name in Hebrew of Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is the personal name given to God in the Old Testament. It's one of those beautiful names, and it literally means I am. All right, now, blow your mind with that concept. We put God in a box, remember? But Jesus Christ means Yahweh saves, and he saves through his chosen anointed instrument. Christ means anointed. So the anointed Jesus Christ has come and stepped in our place, and guess what? He hops on that scale when suffering comes, and he goes, look to me, child. Look to me. And that's why right prior in Romans 8.15, Paul reminds us that you can cry out to him the personal name of Abba, Father. We like to sometimes translate that as Daddy, but the English, that's silly to put it into comparison. Abba is this personal name of intimacy when you cry out. So what Romans 8.15 is saying, look to him in that suffering and cry out to him, Father, go to him in your sorrows. And then you're reminded that that present suffering compared to the future glory that is coming, believer, it's nothing. Now, I'm not trying to belittle your sufferings. So do not point the finger at me and go, you don't understand. No, I don't. And I'm not going to try to understand what you're walking through. But I do know one who's greater than what you're going through. And I can encourage you with that. And so be reminded that he outweighs the scale. In the midst of the storms and suffering, our anchor is being reminded that glory is coming. So let's read, this is how we're going to kind of wrap up. Let's read this last little uh, section. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, because the creation was subjected to futility, be reminded of that, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And see, hope is given tons of times here that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. 
And here's, if you move forward, guess what? Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, and guess what? We don't see heaven. Not right now. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And God provides that patience. He does. Beauty and suffering is found in knowing that this world is not our home. It is found in remembering that we will dwell with God forever. It is found in knowing that one day Christ will wipe away every tear. No more sorrow will remain. And so as the beautiful passage says from Revelation 21, 1 through 4, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, listen to this truth, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Here it is. Believer, if you're suffering, cling to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This too shall pass, believer. But unbeliever, let me give you the fierce warning. This is only the start. Right? If you don't know Christ, your suffering is nothing in comparison to your eternity and damnation. Run to him. Run to him. And so I want to close by just sharing a story. Um, when I write messages, I never come up with illustrations because I'm really bad at it. Um, I don't, and, and I, I just, I don't know. Illustrations don't do anything for me. Um, and so like, I, I wanted to just share a real story with you to close out. Um, and then I want to share a quote that has encouraged my heart over the last week, and that will finish us up. And I got through that six pages pretty quick. I'm proud. Wow. You, so I told Shane last night, it's like a four-page sermon is usually about 45 minutes. Well, hey, God's in the midst, all right? So um, I shared at the beginning that I got to experience God's sovereignty um, work out, and that's what really solidified that this is where we needed to be. Man, let me tell you a story. Um, so, I found this podcast. If you need a good podcast to listen to, it's called The Whole Council. And it just dives into scripture. It's all it is. But they were interviewing this pastor. He's a missionary. Um, and the title was Suffering Well. I was like, hmm, this is something God's been stirring. I might as well just listen to it. And let's see if it, you know, gives some thought. Well, I started listening to it. And it was this guy named Joel Tigreen. He was a missionary in um, Turkey, and him and his family had gone over to Turkey and served well, um, served faithfully in a church over there, um, and it was said that they would rather even be there, that that was their real home, they felt like. Um, but Joel was being interviewed on Suffering Well, and I saw in the video he had an oxygen tank. Well, Joel had been diagnosed pretty much with a terminal cancer, um, and I don't have time to expound on the whole story. But long story short, Joel has a beautiful testimony of God's grace, redeeming, redeeming him. It's not my story to tell, right? It's his family's story to tell. And if you want to check that out, go watch that podcast. Um, but long story short, this podcast was asking, like, Joel, how are you doing? How, how do you suffer well? Because he had been diagnosed with cancer, wasn't looking good. They had given him the statistics and the outcomes. 
And the only thing that he could give in that podcast was Christ is greater. He was leaving behind a newborn practically and all of his family and his church. And he was like, Jesus is greater. And the whole testimony, Jesus is greater. And I just wept like a baby. Because right? I'm like, I don't have that faith. But I want that faith. I want it so dearly. Give me that kind of faith to go, Jesus is greater no matter any circumstance in life. And I began, I've been praying that for a long time, for years, even at North Greenville in college. I prayed, Lord, give me radical faith to go wherever you lead and be your servant and vessel no matter the cost. And so I watched that and it kind of just stirred some thought. I shared it with the students on a Wednesday night because we were going through 1 Peter at the time, which addresses suffering immensely. Um, well, I go to this conference. I mean, God, I mean, he is just amazing. The, the sovereignty of God is the absolute most amazing thing. So I'm sitting at this conference, this Founders Conference. I'm sitting listening to my favorite preacher, Joel Beakey. And there's this kid sitting in front of me, whirling his lanyard. And if you know me, there's a reason I'm in student ministry, okay? He's whirling, whirling, whirling. I'm like, well, I'm like nice, dude. Get it, get it. Well, he lays it down, and I look at the name tag, because I'm just sitting, and you could see over it. And it says Ty Green. I'm like... And so I look to my left, and I'm like, I don't know if that's his wife. I can't tell. That looks like his son, though. And lo and behold, I start looking on my phone, and I see this is Joel's wife and his two kids in front of me, 10 hours away in Fort Myers, Florida. They're from Arkansas. This is a missionary in Turkey. And I'm like, what's the chances of this? Right? Just, and if you miss that God is sovereign in that, I can't help you. Right? I, a podcast. Never heard of these people Nine hours away, Fort Myers. They're sitting in front of me. Okay? Call it coincidence. I don't believe in coincidence. And so, uh, after the message, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm already crying before I talk to them. But mom grabbed her and started talking to her. And then we got to talking to them. And I just, I fell out. Because, like, his testimony has just encouraged me so much. I struggle immensely with fear. I do. Um, and so, I was just talking to her and being encouraged. And long and behold, we never knew that this podcast and then sharing it would open up the opportunities for this D now. And then I'd be sitting behind this family. And now his family, we take care of them. We sent them a care package with cards and all kinds of stuff to Arkansas. We pray for them weekly. Like they're our family. Like she's more of a sister than if I have any of my own family by blood that doesn't know Jesus. She is my family, and God has called us to take care of our widows, just so you know. And so we have been just praying for them and encouraging them. And I'll tell you, that it's amazing what God does through testimonies. But God showed me, because I needed to be reminded. I've preached God's sovereign for years, but I needed to be reminded. Hey, James, I'm in the midst, and I'm working all of these things for my glory and your good. And it was good for me to be reminded that God was holding them fast. Because what was her testimony? Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Amen. And you want to know how she's finding beauty and suffering? And if Emily, if you're watching this, your hope is in Christ. She's finding it in Christ. Right? And that we, as a unit, as a body of Christ, our responsibility is to preach Christ and Christ crucified to those who are suffering and to remind them that hope is in Christ and encourage them in that. But I have a lifelong friend now. But you know why it's lifelong? I'll meet Joel one day. 
And I, <laughs> it chokes me up, but I'll get to be able to say, job well done, brother. And we'll be able to hear together, job well done. And so God takes care of his people. And those that are suffering here today, I know we have a, many, many of you that are walking through many trials. And I just want you to be reminded that our king is greater. And that he holds his people fast. And I get choked up because it's an emotional concept. Because I'm a wretch that deserves none of it. I'm a chief of sinners. But God in his grace saw it fit to save James Vernon Barnes some 2,000 years ago on a cross as he carried my name to that cross. And he bled out all the way to water, being separated from the Father at that moment experiencing physical anguish, emotional anguish, mental anguish, and spiritual anguish on my behalf, and so too for his people. So believer, be reminded that your hope is in Christ. And if your hope is not in Christ, then you do not know him. But you can. You can. Because guess what? He has already done the work, past tense. Trust in him today. And let's end on this quote. R.C. Sproul says this. It is precisely the presence and help of Christ in times of suffering that makes it possible for us to stand up under pressure. He is near. He is in our midst. Would you pray with me?